Praise the Lord for the brother and Mrs. Stancis and their children. Join us tonight for our evening service as they'll be updating us about the work in Uganda. And uh, he'll be preaching this evening. I know he'll be a blessing to you. He's going to preach right now to our junior high service. He'll be in prayer for that. On the way out, get one of our Christmas musical flyers. The Christmas musical is just around the corner on December 8th and 9th. Saturday night, December 8th at 5 p.m. Sunday night at, uh, I think at the same time on, on De- December 9th. Great opportunity to invite people you know to hear the gospel. Wonderful evening of music. And these are great flyers you can have to give out to your friends. So please grab some of those and give those out and help us to reach people, if you would, for the, with the gospel. We just don't have, we have a lot of Sundays left between now and then. And we want to take advantage of that. Let's stand and take our Bibles this morning. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, please. Look around you. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, if you'd share your Bible with them and help them find their place, that would be a blessing. John chapter 3, we'll go to verse 1. And we're going to read verses 1 to 8. I'm going to do something different again this morning. I'm going to read the odd number of verses. I'd like to ask you to read the even number of verses. Can we do that this morning? Amen? Amen. I'll read the odd number of verses and you read the evening. Okay, all together. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Congregation, the same came to Jesus... Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Congregation, Nicodemus saith unto him, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Altogether, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. We've been on a series entitled Nothing But the Truth. And we've seen as we've, we've gone through this, we've looked at the truth concerning that without Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. We've looked at the truth that Jesus gives us the best of the best. This morning, I want you to zone in with me on verses 3, 5, and 8, 3, 5, 6, and 8. And I want you to notice this morning the truth concerning the new birth. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We're going to dissect this and get into this morning about what is the new birth. What does it mean to be born again? Years ago, former President Jimmy Carter, I think back in the 80s, came out with a platform. He came out with a platform saying, I've been born again. And Jimmy, Jimmy Carter, of course, but, uh, President Carter was a Southern Baptist and he carried his ban- banner on, on the fact they've been born again. It just kind of took a America by surprise and people who were not saved were asking what did it mean by then and of course over the time sometimes the president will get up or some some notable figure will say they've been born again uh, Charles Colson who was part of the Watergate uh, scandal that happened, got saved in prison, wrote a book entitled Born Again. And we, we're not going to look at what, the, what those writers had to say. We're going to look this morning what Jesus has to say about that. Amen? And we're going to see the truth about that. Just this morning, the Washington Post came out, and uh, a writer, a satirical writer, wrote this out. He says, you know what? He says, uh, everything you read on the Internet is a bunch of lies. But he says, it says, but the article talked about how they can take lies and turn them into truth. Well, I want to tell you this morning, we're going to take the truth and show you what the truth is. Amen? And we're going to look at the truth of God's Word today because Jesus Christ is the truth and the truth will make you free. So this morning as we look at the Scriptures, let's have our hearts ready, our ears open, and let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. Now, Lord, today we thank You, Lord, for the truths of Your Word. We thank You that Jesus Christ is the truth. The Bible says Jesus declared of Himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by Me. And Father, we're thankful today that the truth can make us free. We're thankful today that the truth is Jesus Christ. And so, as we think about the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ in John 17, 
He says, sanctify thy people through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John said this about, about those he led to Christ. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Father, we want to know the truth. We want to be sure that we are living the truth. We want to be sure that, God, everything that we hear is truth. And so today, uh, we, we just pray that the truth concerning the new birth, that what it means to be born again, will speak to our hearts. And we pray for some today who are confused about how to go to heaven, and some perhaps have never been fully explained what the way to heaven is. We pray that today, as we look at John chapter 3, that you'll make that very, very clear, very understandable, bless and work in our hearts. We pray this morning, in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. You may be seated. Here in Northern and Southern California, we've been gripped for the last 10 or 11 days by the Camp Fire in Butte County and the Woosley Fire down there in Southern California, which has occupied most of Malibu. Investigators are examining the source of both fires. In this, everyone who has suffered devastation in these fires want to know the truth as to how the fires began. They want to know the truth about the origins of the fires. There's a lot of things going on in our world today. People want to know the truth. When a court trial goes on, they want to know the truth. This morning, we're going to look at the truth concerning one of the, perhaps the most important vital matter of all of Scripture, and the truth concerning what verse 3 says, of what it means to be born again. When we examine the truth, we're looking at something that is a life and death decision. This truth we're going to look at this morning will determine whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. It is the truth that will make you free. The truth we're looking at this morning, what Jesus said in verse 3, except a man be born Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You may have read those words many times. This may be the first time you've read it. I hope you'll take a moment and take a dark pen and underline those words, born again. I hope that you'll let it embed itself in your heart and mind. If you've got a highlighter, I'd underline those words, born again. I'd underline the words, birth there. I want you to have an understanding what it means to be born again. All of us are familiar with birth. In fact, if we weren't familiar with birth, we wouldn't be here right now, amen? We had to be born into this world. I'm reminded of the story of the, the uh, evangelist Lester Roloff, who, uh, who preached during the, uh, much before many of you were born. But Lester Roloff was one of our great evangelists during the 20th century. And uh, Dr. Roloff was making a trip across the border to preach uh, over there in Mexico. And one of our missionaries had invited him there to preach. And just like you normally do when you travel, he brought his passport and, and so forth there. And uh, they, they looked at him and they looked at his passport and they said, Sir, do you have your birth certificate? And he was kind of puzzled by that. And if you knew anything about Dr. Roloff, Dr. Roloff always had these uh, kind of just these ways of saying things. And he looked at them and kind of deadpan. What? Can't you look at me and tell that I've been born? What do you need my birth certificate for, you know? And uh, when we think about birth, we think about something new that happens. Just recently, we've had some families that gave birth to a new child. I'm reminded of... Uh of a man who was uh, talking to his friend and he was looking a little worried and he was telling his friend, you know, my wife is expecting our third child. And he said, well, you should be excited about that. Why are you worried about it? And he said, well, when the first child was, was uh, when she was expecting the first child, I was reading the book, The Tale of Two Cities, and when she gave birth, she had twins. And he said, so when the second, she was expecting the second child, I was reading the book about the three musketeers and when she gave birth, she had triplets. And he said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, right now I'm reading the book entitled The Birth of a Nation. And I'm not really sure what to expect from all of this. Amen. You know, when we think about a birth, it's a, it's a momentous time. It's a wonderful time. Births are a wonderful thing. No matter who it is, we rejoice with people who have been born. And this morning, I want us to rejoice in a major Bible doctrine. And that major, major Bible doctrine, we call it regeneration or the doctrine of the new birth. Get your pens out. Get your notes out. I want to teach you about the new birth this morning. Number one, which you notice in verses one and two, we see a man. We see a man, and we start with this man because this man becomes a sedge to Jesus teaching us about the, the important doctrine, the important truth about the new birth. We're introduced to a man by the name of Nicodemus in verse, verse 1. Notice it says, there was a man of the Pharisees whose name was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now write this to mark your Bible. 
The name Nicodemus means a conqueror. Nico means to conquer. His name means a conqueror. You get the word Nike from that. Our Nike comes from the Bible, believe it or not. It means to conquer there. We see that word used over and over again over in, in the book of Revelation. Jesus talks about conquering. He's using the word Nikos there. Nicodemus, whatever, for whatever reason, his mother and father named him Nicodemus because they saw him as a conqueror. This was a man who was very important in Scripture. I will save for a later time a, a whole message on Nicodemus because he challenges us about his faith. He, he, some of us will see a lot of what we are in Nicodemus, but we don't have to stay like that. We can see the conqueror that he was. Notice this man Nicodemus was religious. Verse one says that he, verse one it says that he was a man of the Pharisees. He was of the highest religious and spiritual order of the Jews. This was a man well versed and trained in the in the Mosaic laws and the traditions of the Jews. He knew all the rabbinical traditions. This man was the elite of the elite. When you consider the Pharisees and the thoroughness of their trainings, they were considered doctors of the law. They were very well learned in the Jewish tradition. This man could truly be said to be religious. He could dot his I's and cross his T's when it came to the religious customs and practices. Now, many, many of you here today might come from religious background. You grew up in a religious environment where you went to church with your parents and you did certain traditions and things of that nature. The day came when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But many still are confused the difference between being religious and being spiritual. This man was religious. This man practiced many things, but as we'll unfold and get into this, this man has concerns about whether these traditions, whether these practices would get him to heaven. But we see a religious man. Maybe this morning you're a religious person. Maybe you're falling to the law which your mother taught you. Maybe you're falling by the law what has been passed on to you by your family. By tradition, you may be religious. And we consider someone religious... Someone that worships in some form or manner. And we, and, and maybe you're not really sure what you're worshiping, but you worship in some form or manner. This man was religious. But notice something else here in verse 1. Nicodemus was also a man who was renowned. The Bible tells us in verse 1, he was a ruler of the Jews. He was among the elite of the Jewish leaders. And we have to mark that because he was very well known in Jewish circles in Jerusalem. He was someone they would go to for spiritual advice or they'd ask something about the traditions or the rabbinical laws. They would go to Nicodemus and say, sir, would you tell us of these things? This man was renowned. This man was religious. But did you notice this morning in verse to this man was reasoning. Nicodemus was a man that was searching. Notice in verse 2 it says, the same came to Jesus by night. Now, we have to, we, if you've read that many times, you don't think anything of it. Normally, a Pharisee was someone people went to them. Very rarely would the Pharisees go to some other religious person. Now, they may open up their synagogues to where they'd allow a visiting uh, a Pharisee or visiting, uh, you know, someone of the scribe come, and he'd read the law to them, and he'd say something to them and address them. And Paul used that a lot to his advantage back in the book of Acts. When he went to a, visit, to a city, he'd find a synagogue of the Jews there. And when the opportunity came, they let a visiting uh, a Pharisee stand up. He'd get up and he would just get the gospel out to them. Normally, the Pharisees were people. They would, they would, they would, they, they were somebody that people would go to. This man was very renowned. He was very religious. We find this man coming to Jesus. In fact, notice in verse two, he came to Jesus by night. Now, this man was very concerned because as we look at the statement he makes here. He comes to Jesus and there's a curiosity. He comes to Jesus and there's a concern. His heart Heart. written over his face is a deep concern. He said this, Rabbi, no, he addresses Jesus with respect. He addresses him as a fair, as a fellow teacher. Jesus was not a Pharisee. Praise God for that. Amen. He wasn't a Pharisee, but he's respected as a teacher. And he said, Rabbi, we, speaking on behalf of himself and other Pharisees, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now we have to pause for a moment here and think about what is unfolded in the early days of Jesus' ministry. Last week we saw where Jesus went to Cain of Galilee in those very, very few first weeks of his ministry inauguration. And there at Cain of Galilee, where he was just known as Jesus from Nazareth, there he turned water into wine. Well, it was just that that whole concept of that miracle was just captured to the immediate audience that was there. But word spread out because of the servants and because of what he did there. And word spread out from there and spread throughout all of the Galilean communities. Well, now we find in chapter two later on, Jesus goes to Jerusalem because it's the feast of the Passover. Now, Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread 
was one of three times that the Jews would converge and come to Jerusalem from all over the place. They would go there to that one central place to worship God. And the Feast of the Passover commemorates what happened in Exodus chapter 12 when they took a lamb and a lamb was offered for every household to keep the death angel from going over them. Well, now it had transformed itself into a national feast where the nation would offer a sacrificial lamb for the sins of the whole nation. Little did they know that as Jesus was there, that the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world was walking among them. And Jesus made his presence very known there. While he was in Jerusalem, he had to clean house. He had to clean out a lot of things that was going on in the temple practices that had had taken away from the essence of worshiping God. And people were commercializing, making merchandise of the house of God. And while Jesus was there, the Bible didn't tell us in John chapter 2, but as we piece together Matthew and Mark and, 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 and Luke, we realize that Jesus was performing a series of miracles while he was there in Jerusalem. I mean, Jesus comes and he takes the whole area by storm. It wasn't just the turning of water into wine. There at Jerusalem, Jesus there, he took a man whose hand was withered and he helped his hand get restored. There at Jerusalem, Jesus would take lepers and he would heal them. And the Bible tells us that Jesus did these many miracles where he healed many and he healed the sick and he brought the dead back to life again and he cast out demons out of people. And the people just were amazed about all the things that were going on. So you notice here Nicodemus. Nicodemus was among the audience of people that saw and witnessed what Jesus did and heard what Jesus was teaching. Notice again verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. He said there's something different about Jesus. There's something different about this teacher. He said he must be from God. He must be a man of God. Now you want to underline that phrase, he must, become, he must come from God because Jesus is going to give him further explanation about that a little bit later. But notice the second part of verse 2. He says, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And bothering him in his heart, that is Nicodemus, was that thought, except God be with him. He said, how could all this be possible? How could all these things be done? In fact, we read over in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus taught, he taught them as one having authority. There was no formalism in his teaching. His teaching was alive. His preaching stirred hearts, and people were pricked in their consciences. And he said, no man can do these miracles except he be sent from God and so by saying that here's what Nicodemus was saying to Jesus who are you really who are you really and he was saying this to Jesus can you help me that was his way of saying in a religious and somewhat of religious conceitedness can you help me no man can do these miracles except he be sent from God Nicodemus was a man who was reasoning he was a religious man but wondering in his heart of hearts will I go to heaven he was wondering in his heart of hearts well the repetition of all the Jewish laws every year the repeating of the Passover uh, the doing of the sin offerings will all those things that I do will that earn me merit with God? Will that earn me favor? Will I get to heaven? And Nicodemus, as a man who was ruler of the Jews, was bothered in his conscience. He was concerned in his soul whether or not, if he died at that moment, would he spend all of eternity in heaven? I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter your family background. It doesn't matter who it was in your life to influence you. In your heart of hearts, the greatest concern you should have in your heart this morning is this one question. If I were to die today, do I know for sure that I'm going to heaven? We see a man this morning. But notice in verse 3, we see a mandate. He comes to Jesus and he makes these statements to him. He says, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew Nicodemus was searching. Jesus knew Nicodemus was reasoning his heart. He's trying to reconcile his mind. What do these miracles mean? And what do the teachings all represent? And he came to him out of respect and not even realizing at that moment of time that he stood right before the very Son of God, that he stood before the man who later on would call himself the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus responds to Nicodemus by saying to him, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Listen, Jesus was giving this man a mandate. Notice in verse 3, he starts off and uses phraseology that was unique at that time to, to the, to the, to, to the scriptures. He said, verily, verily. Here's what he was saying. I could trans, I would paraphrase this way. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth, Nicodemus. Here's the truth. Whenever you would repeat something like verily, verily twice, that basically was emphatically telling the per- person, I'm telling you the truth. You could say truly, truly, or the word verily is where we get our word amen from. 
from. It was a factual statement that would be made. In fact, when somebody would say, verily, verily, they preceded their statement by verily, verily. You were to pause. You were to listen very carefully because you knew what that person was going to tell you was absolute truth. And Jesus was giving this man, Nicodemus, at that moment, absolute truth. He told that man a mandate about going to heaven. Listen very carefully as we read verse 3. That is God's mandate. That is God's entryway into heaven. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now notice in this mandate, it's an essential mandate. Circle a word that's very important here. Notice it's the word except. Every adult in this room, if you've ever, ever entered into any kind of a contract, you've always looked at whether or not that contract has an exception clause. Except means unless. Except means no other way. Except means barring all other. Except rejects any other method, idea, or concept. Look again, except. Jesus is saying here there's an essential. Except you follow this. Except you're born again. There's no other way to the kingdom of heaven. He said except. He said it's an essential mandate. Notice it's an exclusive mandate. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Underline three words. He cannot see. He cannot. Jesus makes it an exclusive order here. He says you cannot get into heaven unless you're born again. Now, please note this this morning. Being born again or the new birth is not reformation. Please note this this morning. Being born again or the new birth is not having a remodeling job. Please note this this morning, that new birth is not a new religion. Listen this morning, new birth is not changing churches. Listen, new birth this morning is not a religious work. It is not getting baptized. It is not getting confirmed. It is not going through several steps. It is not following the circles. Notice again verse 3, Jesus, who is God's holy son, is telling Nicodemus, explains to us this morning, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It is impossible to get into heaven except a man be born again there. We see this mandate. Notice as we go a little bit further, we see this man Nicodemus. We see the mandate of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Nicodemus, notice in verse 4, gives us a sedgeway into the means by which this new birth happens. What is the means of the new birth? What do we mean by new birth? What do we mean by being born again? I've been born once. I was born September 15th, many years ago. How many years ago? It's none of your business. Amen. I just tell you this, I wasn't born yesterday, but it was many years ago, amen? You've been born. Is he talking about physical birth? Is he talking about maternal birth? Except a man be born again. This whole concept up to then, none of the Pharisees had ever heard that before. This phrase was not even used in the Old Testament. Jesus is giving an important revelation. And if you'd imagine this man, Nicodemus, he was well learned in all of the Jewish laws. He knew the law of Moses backwards and forth. He could quote you the book of Deuteronomy. He knew the written oral traditions of all the Pharisees. And Nicodemus is very bothered. Notice we see the exasperation of Nicodemus in verse 4. Nicodemus, when he heard that phrase, he said, how? You and I would say the same thing. How? How is this possible? How can a man be born when he's old? Now, we turn to the term born <coughs> and again. And in his mind, just like you and me, if you and I were there in Nicodemus's place, we're thinking physical birth. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's thinking, well, does that mean I've got I've to be reborn physically? Does it mean life starts all over by going back into my mother's womb and being born? He says, how could this be possible? He's exasperated. He's thinking this. He's thinking, I'm already old. How can I be born a second time? Physically speaking, this does not make sense. I mean, a lot of times we think about the things which God says. And for the for the natural man, as, as 1 Corinthians 2 speaks of, it doesn't make sense to the natural man. And we want understanding about what these things mean. What does it mean? How can this happen? How can I be born again? Does this mean I've got to enter again into my mother's womb? This man is exasperated. But notice in verses 5 through 8, Jesus gives him an explanation. 
Jesus qualifies for us in verses 5 to 8 the process of the new birth. Notice as we read verses 5 through 8, Jesus explains that being born again is not physical birth, but spiritual birth. Look what he says in verse 5. Verily, verily, again, this is the truth. He said, I'm going to tell you the truth now, Nicodemus. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Notice verse 6 here. Jesus is differentiating between physical birth and spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh is physical. Jesus was not talking about physical birth. Jesus was not talking about reformation. Jesus was not talking about going to an addiction program and coming out of the addiction program. Jesus was not talking about graduating from college. Jesus was not talking about turning over a new leaf. Jesus was not talking about a New Year's resolution. He's talking about a being born again spiritually. He's talking about spiritual rebirth. Now, why did he say that? Well, we need to take into account a few things this morning. First of all, every, every one of us is born with a sinful nature. Say amen to that if you believe that. Amen. Every one of us is born with a sin nature. Would you notice some verses that I have in your notes or you can turn to it with me, please? Notice to Psalms 51.5. Do you see that? Psalms 51. Say amen if you see it. Why don't you read that with me? Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now the Bible makes very clear in the Old and New Testament that we were born with a sinful nature. I, the psalmist David made it very clear. He says when we, when we were conceived in our mother's womb, he said we were conceived with a sinful nature. We had the sinful nature the moment conception happened. Notice Psalms 58.3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. He's saying as soon as the child is born, the first, one of the first sins they're going to commit is they speak lies. As soon as they can articulate, they're going to speak. So how do you know that? Because when you say, did you do that? They always say, no, no. You ever notice when a child, when a child moves their head, they never go like this when they, when they get up. Our, our, my little granddaughter, uh, our little granddaughter Evie, they, they, uh, Solomon Creese did a, did a video of her and she was standing up and I noticed she was holding on to the side and she was going like this. I said, oh boy, her sinful nature is coming out there. She's going like this. You know, you never see a kid go like this, okay? For some reason, they want to do it, I guess, to make us dizzy or something like that. But I think they're reflecting their sinful nature. They always say, no. Did you put your hand in the cookie jar? No, mom, but the, cook, the cookies are all over your face. They bet, you know? Everyone's born with a sinful nature. Nicodemus knew that. Everybody around there knew that. Now, at that moment in time, it's just Nicodemus and Jesus, but they didn't have to talk about sin. In fact, you know, most of us, if not all of us, recognize that we have sin. Everybody recognizes that lying is a sin and stealing is a sin. And we know taking God's name in vain is a sin. And we know that idol worship is a sin. And we know that disobedience to our parents is a sin. And we know that adultery is sin. We know that covetousness is a sin. I mean, all of us, some way or the other, have broken one or more of the Ten Commandments. And the Bible tells us very succinctly in James chapter 2, if a man keeps the whole law and yet offends just in one area, if you just make one sin, you're, you're still a sinner. Hey, listen, one cancer cell and I've got cancer, amen? One sin makes me a sinner. So we realized this morning that everyone is born with a sinful nature. But there's another reason why Jesus spoke about spiritual birth. Notice, secondly, all of us are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. Now, when you're born with a sinful nature, the Bible describes you and me as being spiritually dead. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Do you see that? Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. And I'm going to read that. You listen very carefully. Paul wrote this. And you hath he quickened. Now, the word quickened is an old English term meaning he's made alive. Or born again. You has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation times past. And the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Now notice what happens here. In verses 2 and 3. Paul is describing what we are as sinners. He talks about the fact in verse two, he says that we uh, we were children, we were walking in darkness. He talks about the fact that we're children of the devil. He talks about the fact that we are depraved, walking after our own lust. He talks about the fact that we are under the wrath of God in verse three. I mean, that's the sinful nature there. OK, but he says in verse one, he starts it out by saying not only are we born with a sinful nature, but this sinful nature, we are dead in trespass sin. Hey, please mark this down. The moment the moment you're born in this world with, with this sin nature, we are spiritually dead. Spiritually, we are dead. That's why Jesus introduced this idea, this concept, this doctrine in John 
John chapter 3 of being born again. Because we are spiritually dead. We need life. Something dead can only, will not remain dead when it has life, but it stays dead. And he's saying this, you are, when you are born once, you're going to die twice. You're going to die twice in this way. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. When we, the, one of the consequences of sin is that, that we have physical death. When death occurs, when death occurs, there's no more physical activity. But there's also spiritual death. And spiritual death is when the individual dies. If they're not saved, that individual spent, we separated from God and spend all of eternity in a very terrible place called hell. They'll spend all of eternity there and uh, never to be in the presence of God. And that's a terrible thing. So when you're born once physically and you remain spiritually dead, you can wind up being spirit. You you wind up that way. You're going to die twice. You'll die physically and you'll die spiritually. So Jesus, in introducing his thought, wanted everyone to understand you're a sinner. And secondly, you're dead in trespasses and sins. Now notice, we get to verses 5, 6, and 7, when Jesus tells us the means for this spiritual birth. Spiritual birth means that God quickens us spiritually. God gives us life. But the means by this life must be, be according to what Jesus said here in verses 5, 6, and 7. He tells us how you can be born again. He tells you this morning how this new birth can occur. First of all, he talks about the importance of water. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, again, I give you the truth. I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, there's two things that are essential in this matter of the new birth. There's two important elements here. There's the water and there's the Spirit. And both are connected by that word and. It's not one or the other. Both are essential for the new birth. Now, water here is not talking about water baptism. And water here is not talking about when you're born physically and the mother's water bag is broken. Some people say that. That's not what it's referring to here. Water here is referring to the Word of God. There are times when when we see in the New Testament or even the Old Testament, the water is a symbol of God's word. And here we see in verse five, the water is a symbol and speaking about God's word. Look with me at first Peter chapter one, verses 23 to 25. And this will give insight to this first Peter chapter one, verses 23 to 25. Say amen if you're there. Verse 23, notice what he says here. Being born again, there it is again. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. And the grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Notice verses 23 to 25, we connect God's word is essential seed that must be planted into a heart to bring about the new birth. Except a man be born of water. Water is talking about the seed of God's word. God's word is planted in your heart. Now the Lord gives us a couple things in the New Testament again to further substantiate this. In Matthew chapter 13, we have the parable of the sower. The sower is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the sower is sowing seed. The seed is a picture of the word of God. Again, we see the seed being mentioned here in 1 Peter chapter 1 as being the word of God. And it's talks about seed getting on good ground. And when it gets on good ground, good fertile ground, it bears forth fruit. Now your heart is good ground when you receive God's word readily. When you receive God's word and you and you act upon God's word, you obey it and follow through because the Bible says it, bring for, it brings forth much fruit. We read about later on in Romans 10, 17, the Bible says, now then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now this morning as I'm preaching God's word to you, John chapter 3, that's the seed of God's word that God is planting in to your heart and God is moving away at your heart when the spirit of God is trying to break up the fallow ground inside your heart and the hardened soil and as he does so he wants that seed of his word to get deep into your heart and he wants you to understand that the seed is God's word the seed is not corruptible seed but it's incorruptible the word of God abides forever the words of man may fail the words of man may go away but God's word never fails the Bible says the word of God liveth and abideth forever it endures forever and he says this is the word which by the gospel was preached unto you We're reading God's word. Jesus was giving Nicodemus God's word. He said, a man be born of water. This morning, you have no excuse. The word of God is being given to you. The seed is being cast into your heart. And it's my prayer this morning that your heart is good soil, that it not be wayside soil where men trample on it and walk away. I pray that it will not be shallow soil where it cannot take deep root. And my prayer this morning that it's good soil that will take deep root inside and produce the result of the new birth. But there's something else. We see the the, the, the importance of the seed. But we see the, of the of the word of God. But we see also the importance of the spirit. 
Notice again, he says in verse 5, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit of God. Go to Titus 3, 5. Titus 3, 5. Do you see it? You there? You don't say amen. We're going to be here till past lunchtime. Do you see it? Amen. Okay. Is that an old or new testament? Who said old? Justin, did you say that? No. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. You know what he's saying there? doesn't matter how many good works we do. That doesn't save us. By the way, did you know this? God doesn't give you credit for good works to get to heaven. You ever, you ever done extra work and you got no credit for it? That's a bad feeling, right? You ever, you ever work overtime you didn't get compensated for it? That's a bad feeling, right? Hey, God doesn't give you credit for good works if you're trying to use good works to get to heaven. There's no credit from God. Look what he says. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It doesn't mean God looks at your good works and says, well, you're, you're, not, you're not a good person. But the fact is, God, good works won't save you. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But notice, according to his mercy. Listen, mercy is love we don't deserve. Mercy. And watch what happens. God is a God of justice. He's holy. As a God of justice, he has to judge sin. We'll see that in just a moment. God has to judge sin. But listen, we stand before the throne of God and we receive his mercy. And God, justice says he must be condemned. But mercy says pardon him. Mercy says forgive him. Mercy says save him. Mercy says take him from the pits of hell and lift him up so he can receive the gift of eternal life. And so the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Listen, God doesn't give us credit for our good works and for our baptisms and our catechism and our our prayers and all those things. Those are those things. Thank God that you did those things. But listen, we don't get any credit for those things. And he's saying here, listen, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. Many, many years ago, the great French ruler Napoleon had a soldier who disobeyed the laws of France. And this young soldier, they found out and they tried him. And if you knew anything, if you read anything about Napoleon, Napoleon was a very harsh leader. Napoleon basically said this young soldier must be killed for his crimes. The mother of that young soldier found her way to Napoleon and came to him and she appealed to him. She said, sir, sir, if you would, I appeal to you, please give mercy to my son. Please spare my son. And Napoleon looked at her deadpan. He says, your son does not deserve mercy. He deserves justice. Why do you think he deserves mercy? She said, he deserves mercy because that's the only thing that can help him. He needs your mercy. And I appeal to you that you'd extend mercy because if he, if he, if he didn't need mercy, there would be no other way to help him. And to that moment of time, Napoleon turned, changed his mind he says then to that young man i will extend mercy to them and he's forgiven of all his crimes mercies even though we don't deserve even though the penalty is on us and even though we know we've done wrong and we've been tried by a jury and we've been tried by the judge and a penalty has been assessed to us and mercy is saying in spite of all those things i set you free i expunge you of all your crimes i set you free from all of them and notice the bible says in titus 3 5 not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy you understand something today god is not impressed with what we can do he wants us impressed with the fact what he's already done for us mercy mercy there was great and grace was free pardon there was multiplied for me notice then he goes on by saying but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing regeneration circle that word regeneration you know what regeneration means it's the same word in the Greek where we get our words born again. Regeneration and born again are the very same Greek word. Now, let's pull it all together. Except he says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the wash regeneration. Watch, good works can't wash away our sins. But when you're born again, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sins. The Bible says in Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. What you notice here again, the washing regeneration, the new birth produces a spiritual cleansing, a spiritual washing of our way of our sins. The Bible says in Revelation 1.5 of Jesus Christ, he's the prince of all the kings of the earth who washes from our sins with his own blood. Listen, the new birth produces the washing away of our sins. And notice he says, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now, good works can't change you and me. Good works doesn't change your life. Good works doesn't give us a righteous standing before God, but the renewing of the Holy Spirit does. Amen. And he says the renewing of the Holy Spirit is what he's talking about in John 3, 5. He's saying there the renewing of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is the one in the transaction who changes. Now, how does the Holy Spirit renew us? Well, there's two things going on right now. 
Number one, the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and He's trying to communicate to you that you need to be born again. And as He communicates to your heart, He's convicting you because in your heart of hearts, though maybe your neighbor next to you can't see what's going inside, inside of your heart of hearts, there may be a writhing inside. There may be just a gripping inside. Am I born again? Am I born again? Am I going to heaven? Have I experienced this new birth? I want to be born again. I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. And if you're experiencing that, that's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. But beyond all that, the Holy Spirit convicts so that he can convert you. The renewing of the Holy Spirit means this. Alan Fong doesn't save you. Justin Fong doesn't save you. Erwin Gutierrez doesn't save you. None of of us can save each other. It's Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit who saves us and regenerates us and changes us. Many years ago, a man saw a convert of D.L. Moody's. He said, I saw one of your converts and he was living in sin. He went back to the, the, the taverns there and he was drinking it up. That must be one of your converts into which Mr. Moody said he must be one of my converts. He went back to there because it couldn't be one of Jesus Christ's converts. And that's a reminder to us this morning. We don't do the converting. Jesus Christ does the converting. Now, if you prayed a prayer with someone because you wanted to satisfy someone else's concern, and if you prayed a prayer maybe recently when Dr. Farrell was here just to alleviate your conscience, but you did it because, because you wanted just to say to your why for somebody else that you did it but you didn't do it because the holy spirit convicted you then that's a problem because you want to make sure that that when you prayed and asked jesus into your heart you want to make sure that the renewing of the holy spirit is coming to your life to change you there so jesus explains this new birth now notice what he's saying there let's go back to john 3 5 in john 3 5 he says except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter to the kingdom of god that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit marvel not that i said unto thee that ye must be born again now watch what's going on here spiritual rebirth is only possible because of god's mercy spiritual rebirth is what we call the washing regeneration spiritual rebirth is the renewing of the holy spirit that which is born of the flesh is flesh you've already been born physically but if you've never gotten saved you've never been born spiritually and i would tell you this morning the most important thing today to do is to get born again spiritually to realize this morning you must experience a new birth because jesus said adamantly in verse 7 that you must be born again you cannot get to heaven unless you're born again unless you're born again you cannot be saved from your sins unless you're born again you cannot enter into heaven unless you're born again you cannot escape the fires of hell oh listen to me this morning i wonder how many of those people in that awful awful tragedy up there in butte county and some of them were stuck in their cars in a car gridlock. They couldn't get out of town because there were limited entrances and exits. How many of them that perished in no flame? I wonder, my, my thoughts has recurrently been in my mind the last 11 days. I wonder, was there a soul winner that knocked on their door? I wonder if some Christian went there and left a gospel track. I wonder if somebody told them about Jesus Christ. I wonder if they came to a friend day to some gospel preaching church. I wonder if they attended an Easter service or a Christmas service where the gospel was preached. I wonder how many of those people that perished, they could truly say they were saved and born again before they left this life. And I'm saying this morning, if it could happen up in Paradise, California, it could happen in San Leandro, California. It could happen in San Francisco, California. It could happen in Alameda, California. It could happen in Oakland, California. It could happen in Fremont, California. Hey, the question this morning is, have you been born again? Well, we see a man. We see a mandate. We see the means. Would you notice verses 9 to 18? Would you notice the motivation? Now, you're, you're thinking right now, Pastor Fong, okay, physical birth, spiritual birth, born again as a spiritual rebirth. I still don't get it. It's really hard for me to grasp that. But don't feel bad. That's how Nicodemus felt. Notice verse 9. He asked the question, how can these things be? You see, up at that point in time, he just accepted Jesus Christ as another teacher. Maybe that might be a hang of some of us have. We just see Jesus Christ as a teacher. Just another man. Maybe he's a guru. I'm going to tell you this morning, he's God. He's not a guru. Amen. And here's a man learning in the laws of the Pharisees. More religious than any of us in this room. Knew more of the Bible than anybody in this room, at least the Old Testament. And he asked the question, how can these things be? Where is this authority coming from? How is all this possible? 
And so Jesus tells him the motivation behind the new birth. Very quickly, would you notice the first thing Jesus does, he makes very clear his identity as God. He makes very clear to Nicodemus at that point of his deity as God. And that's important here because Jesus was not speaking to him as a teacher. Jesus was speaking to him as a son of God. Please listen to me, dear friend, today. You're not hearing from what the Bible says about Jesus' historical figure. You're hearing this morning from Jesus, who's the son of God. And notice, if you would, in verse 11, Jesus says this, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you received not our witness. Now, he's using some pluralisms here, right? He says, we speak, we do know, we have seen, and our witness. Now, who's he talking about there? Well, Jesus is verifying right there and then. He's verifying his deity with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's doing there. He's declaring there his deity, his uniqueness, his oneness. Everything I said in our very first message, that he's co-equal with God, that he's co-equal with God. He has, he has continuity with God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus wasn't born into virgin birth. Jesus, in terms of just, that's when he came into existence. There are some teachers today who teach that Jesus Christ's eternality, that he was eternal, began at the incarnation. That is wrong doctrine. Jesus Christ has always been eternal. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Watch this. Jesus is clarifying for him that this moment in time. He says, we, we, and are. He says, I and the Father are the same. I and the Spirit are the same. Did you notice here in verse 11? He's declaring his deity as God. But he goes a little bit further than that. Notice verse 12. In verse 12, he says, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now circle that word told. Jesus introduced himself in John 1, 1 as the living word. Here's the living word standing before Nicodemus. The living word is telling him how to be saved. By the way, the living word, his words are recorded for us right here in John chapter 3, and he's speaking to you right now, just as he spoke to Nicodemus. He says, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? He's saying, now Nicodemus, if I told you of earthly things, that which is that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, he said, if you're not going to believe earthly things, how are you going to believe eternal things? And he's convicting this man about the fact, you're holding on to traditions, you're holding on to the laws, you're thinking that everything that you learn as a Jewish boy, now as a Jewish man, will get you to heaven. And notice verse 13. Now he goes on further as he clarifies his deity. He speaks about his identity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He speaks about in verse 12, his identity is the living word. But notice in verse 13, and this, this caps it all as he speaks about his deity. Jesus asserts that he's omnipresent and that he's omnipotent, that he's everywhere and that he's all powerful. Do you notice verse 13? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. That is one of the great verses of scripture. Next time you speak to Jehovah witness or somebody of a cult, show them verse 13, because Jesus says, no man, he said here in verse 13, how he said, uh, he says, no man has ascended to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. He's saying, look it, I'm here on earth, but I'm also in heaven. I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. I'm omnipresent. That's a great verse right there that speaks about the deed of Jesus Christ. I'm in heaven, but I'm in everywhere. By the way, what I'm telling you this morning, that's part of our discipleship classes that we teach, and that's why you should enroll in discipleship. Just a plug there, amen? And verse 13, he's saying, look at here. He's telling them, I am the Son of God. Now, he's telling this man whose heart has been softened, and this man who's been under conviction, that he is God, that he is God incarnate, that he's God who's come in the flesh to die for this man's sin. So he clarifies this man, his identity. Notice, secondly, he goes on from there. Notice verses 14 and 15. He says in verses 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, when he says the Son of Man, he's speaking about his entrance into the world through Mary. But when he says that, he's also speaking about the fact that he was 100% God. God who was made a man without sin. And in verse 15, That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, Jesus is going a step further. Here's what he's saying. Number one, he made sure that Nicodemus understood that Jesus Christ is God. Number two, he wanted him to know in verses 14 and 15, the why, the reason why he explained the new birth, because God doesn't want anybody to perish and spend eternity in hell. God wants every man to be saved. Say that with me to this morning. God wants every man to be saved. Say it again. God wants every man to be saved. God doesn't want anyone to die in their sins and spend all of eternity in hell. God wants everyone to be saved. In verse 14, he drew from a familiar Old Testament 
Testament event that Nicodemus knew about. In verse 15, he opened the eyes to Nicodemus that said, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, he had to hear the word whosoever because those biased, racist Jews at that time who thought the kingdom of God was only for them, they had to understand the moment of time that the gospel is for anybody who believes on Jesus Christ. Amen. He says, Whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have, have eternal life. And the word perish is a very strong word. It talks about no hope. It talks about the point of no return. It talks of spending all of eternity in that place called hell. So Jesus represents this, this man. He tells him, listen, God doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. But there's a third thing. He tells Nicodemus in verses 16 and 18 that the motivation behind the new birth is the love of God for his soul. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What you notice, verses 16 and 17, here in a nutshell, we have summarized for us in two verses. God's love for the world. God's love for every sinner. God's love for for the 7.6, 7.7 billion people in the world. Listen, this morning, I'm thankful we have the census family visiting with us, but God loves Ugandan people. Yesterday, we had t- an opportunity to fellowship with our, our, our missionaries to Tanzania, the whites who were passing through, but I'm reminded this morning, God loves every, every person from Tanzania. There are many ethnicities, different nations represented in our room. I praise God for that, but whatever nation you come from, whatever your ethnicity, God loves those people of the world. And as he's speaking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus' eyes, spiritual eyes are being opened from darkness to light. And he says, for God so loved. He's saying, think about this. Comprehend the love of God. It's an unconditional love. It's an unending love. It's a godly love. It's a love that doesn't see any race. It's a love that doesn't see any hatred. It's a love that pours itself out. For God so loved the world. My friend, this morning, the motivation behind the new birth is that God loves you. God loves you before you could love him. God loves you more than you'll ever know. God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins and mine. The means by the new birth. Yes, you must be born again, but that new birth is because God loves you. And he sent his son to take your place and my place by dying on the cross and being sin for us. He died for our sin. He was the just dying for the unjust that he might bring us to God. He was the sinless one dying for the sinners that he might bring us to God. He was the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of all the world. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who tastes the death for every sinner. Hey, listen this morning. The most wonderful thing you can learn about Thanksgiving right now is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be the substitute and sacrifice for your sins this morning. Very simple. God loves you. And His love gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. And there on Calvary, he gave the supreme reason. There's no parent in this room or grandparent in this room who has sacrificed your child or your grandchild for someone who's a condemned criminal. None of you would. You wouldn't even die for a criminal. But the one who was our creator. The creator died for the creature. The sinless one died for the sinner. Christ died for the condemned. Jesus Christ loves you. But God commendeth his love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, and that implication means under condemnation, Christ died for us. Do you know being born a sinner is a capital crime with God? Capital crimes deserve the death penalty. Being born a sinner is a capital crime. And no matter how many good works we do, God doesn't give us credit for those good works. No matter how many good works we do, it's effort in vain. Because the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Listen to this, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And so today, the motivation for the new birth is God loves you. and God wants you to be saved. God didn't ask you for anything in return. He just asked you to put faith in him to be saved. And so as we come to a close, what you notice, we see the man. We see the mandate. We see the means. You must be born again. We see the motivation. It's the love of God for us. But you notice the motion. 
Would you notice verse 15, verse 16, verse 17? At least four times, maybe five times. There's one key word. One key word is the word believe. There must be motion. There must be an action. Christ died for our sins. The Holy Spirit of God wants to regenerate us. He wants us to experience a new birth. But for that to happen, it's your move. It's your move. You ever play chess or checkers? It's your move. It's your move. You must believe. You must put away any other concept and say, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ died for my sins. Look again at verse 16 and 17. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent out his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But notice verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Now, the majority of people in this room, you've believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're not condemned. You're set free from the penalty of law. Aren't you glad about that this morning, man? Justification means God looks at us just as if we've never sinned. Justification means we've been set free from the penalty of sin. Now, we're not free from the presence of sin. That won't be until glorification. But justification, when you got saved, you're set free from the penalty of sin. But notice verse 17, 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not, he that believeth not, is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Believe is the same as faith. Believe is letting go of your doubts and your fears. Believe is letting go of our traditions, our to-do lists, our good works lists. Believing is accepting with all our heart. Believing is repenting that you're a sinner and unreservedly accepting that God loves you and wants Jesus' his son and that Jesus' his son died for your sins and that you can be born again today. Hey, the motion, you can be born again right now. Right now. It's instantaneous. More instantaneous than making a cup of, cup of noodles. Amen? Because it happens in a moment. You ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You, you tell God, I repent, I'm a sinner. You can be born again into the kingdom of God. So we see a miracle. Verses 6 to 8. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's a miracle. You must be born again. He describes it. He says, we can't ext- describe it. He says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and but canst not tell whence it cometh, but whether it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You know what he's saying there? Spiritual rebirth, being born again, is a miracle of God. It's a miracle birth. Look at John 1.12 as we close this morning. In John 1.12, he says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even in them believe on his name. Now again, there he talks about believing on the name of the Son of God. That only Jesus Christ can save you from your sin. He says, you not only can be known to be saved, not only can experience the new birth, but you become a child of God. And then he qualifies in verse 13, everything we just said. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the spirit, flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And what's he saying here in this miracle as we, as we look at this? We cannot be saved by human descent. Look again at verse 13, which were born not of blood. Being born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Having a Christian father and mother doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your best friend was born again doesn't make you born again. Which were not, were born not of blood. Notice the being born, being, you, we cannot be saved by human descent. Notice in verse 13, we can't be saved by human deeds, nor of the will of the flesh. Again, that's verifying everything Jesus said earlier. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's not by human deeds. It's not by human descent. It's not even by human desire. Look what he says in verse 13, nor of the will of man. Listen, if I could, and Pastor Stenses could, for the people we get to minister to, if we could believe for everyone, we would do it. But it doesn't work that way. It must be your faith. It must be your belief alone in Jesus Christ. Do you understand something this morning? I love you so enough that if you're not saved, I would believe for you, but I can't because you must do it yourself because verse 13 says, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It must be a humble decision this morning. As we look at this in John 3, 14, here's how Jesus closes all this up. He says, hey, Nicodemus, I want to give you an example. Remember when, remember Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness? The Israelites had sinned against God. 
They were under the penalty of sin. And God sent these venomous vipers out. They just came out of the sand and started biting people. And everyone that was bitten by those vipers, they died instantaneously. The, 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 the venom from these, these fiery serpents, was, it felt like fire running through your veins. That's why they're called fiery serpents. And he told Moses, if you want to see these people delivered, you need to take some brass and, and, and fashion the form of this serpent here and put it on a pole and raise it up. And he said, anyone who looks on that brass serpent, then when they cast their eyes on, they look at that brass serpent, they'll be saved from the bite of the serpent. Well, watch what he say there. He was using this as an analogy saying, everyone who looks at the cross, that I died on the cross for sins, they can be saved. And all God wants us to simply do is humble our hearts. With humility, just recognize today, it's not by good works. It's a new birth that we must have. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter to the kingdom of God. And so today, God provides for us the entryway. All you've got to do is believe. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I take you to my heart and be saved today. Now, there's two groups of people here today. Number one, there's some of you who have already believed and have trusted Jesus Christ, your Savior, but maybe you're a little shaky up until this message as to whether or not I'm going to heaven or not. If you can point to the time and place you call on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, as we just saw, you're born again. You're going to heaven based on the Word of God. But if you've never called on the Lord Jesus Christ, and for no other reason you should do it because He loves you, and invites you today to be saved and born again. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Tommy would say around the auditorium this morning, Pastor Fong, I know that I'm born again. I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I know that and contest to that by the raise your right hand. How many could say with me this morning, I know that I'm saved and born again. How many could raise your hand and say, I know I'm saved and I'm born again. I know that Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. How many this morning could say it? God bless you and put your hands down. Now, if you couldn't raise your hand this morning to say I've been born again, The Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart. He's working in you to say, why don't you be saved today? Why don't you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today so you can be saved? Can I help you with that this morning? Right where you're seated. Dear sir, dear ma'am. Why don't you pray a prayer like this right where you're seated and call on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you so that you can be born again. You can pray a prayer like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess today I am a sinner who needs to be saved and there's nothing I can do to save myself. I believe that your Son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins and rose again from the dead. I repent of my sins. And by faith, take Jesus right now into my life to be my Savior and my God. Thank you, Lord, for the new birth, for saving me, for making me a child of God, and for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye still closed. Is there someone here today who can honestly say by the raise of your right hand, Pastor Fong, I heard that explanation today about the new birth. And just now, I prayed with you. And out of sincerity of my heart, I asked Jesus Christ in my heart to save me from my sins. Is there someone here today that would identify with that and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer and asked Jesus to save me today. Anyone like that? You say, Pastor, I prayed this morning and invited Jesus Christ in my heart to save me from my sins. Anyone like that this morning? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Anyone like that? Christian friend, aren't you thankful today that you're saved? You've experienced a new birth? You ought to take a moment today just to thank the Lord right during this invitation that you're saved. But think about people that you know who need to hear the gospel. And people that you need to pray for and work on to come to hear the Christmas musical. In our future services, they can hear the gospel today. You think about that. And today, you just get some people in your heart that you'll invite. Father, thank you today that we see through the life of Nicodemus the truth about the new birth. The truth that you must be born again. And Father, I pray that the Spirit is pressing on hearts and touching on conscience about the need of getting saved. 
Would you help some today who perhaps are on the verge of getting saved and on the verge of trusting Christ saved, but maybe they just need a little more help? Would you help them realize, Lord, we're here to help them and encourage them? And maybe some today did accept Christ today. Maybe they prayed and asked Christ to save them, but they're a little shy to indicate that. Help them this morning not to be ashamed of Christ, but identify with him, even as Christ made his identification with the Father and the Holy Spirit known to Nicodemus. Father, through these scriptures today, we pray that you give light that men would not love darkness more than light, but today we would love the light of your word and come to you. We'll extend the invitation for a moment for those who need to get saved, that they'll come and be born again. Father, use the invitation for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand, heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need to come this morning and the Lord's spoken to you about being born again, why don't you come today and one of our altar workers show you how to be saved today. Are you sure you're saved? If you had some doubts about your salvation, did you just go through just go through the emotions of just praying with somebody but didn't really mean in your heart? This morning, make sure of that today. And then if you have been saved, but you haven't taken the next step of believer's baptism, you need to do that. We encourage you, we're lining people up to get baptized on December 2nd, and want to encourage you to take that next step of following the Lord's scriptural baptism. Would you do that this morning? Sing another stanza. If you need to come, the Lord beckons you to come. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. It was bothering him. Maybe you need to come to Jesus right now. Would you come? Heads are bowed and eyes closed. You come. Don't be ashamed of Christ. He can save you right now. Father, thank you this morning for how our congregation listens so carefully. Thank you for the doctrine of the new birth. Thank you. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that it's a miracle work of God that you do. And now today, Lord, we pray that what's been embedded in our hearts will help us to grasp it, to lay hold of it. And we pray for those who still need to get saved, that they would, they would not delay, but trust, put their faith and trust in Christ as their Savior. Save souls now, we pray. Thank you for this service. Bless we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. We're glad you're here this morning. It's been a good service today. A few things I want to call your attention to on the way out. Please stop by the the um, the table that the Stences family has. Actually, uh, Mrs. Stences, if you and the children want to go there, and they, they'll greet you there. And uh, grab one of their prayer cards. And they can answer any questions you have about Uganda. And uh, Brother Stences will be preaching tonight. And they'll be presenting their work this evening. That'll be a blessing. And then we'll encourage you to grab some of the Christmas musical cards and uh, take some of those. We have a bunch of them up on the table. We want to get those out to as many people as we can and invite them to our Christmas music on December 8th and 9th. If you're still praying about the 1K Challenge, we're still taking offerings for that, so hope you'll come prepared for that. And then join us this coming Tuesday for our Thanksgiving service at 7 o'clock. That would be a blessing. That's Brother Justin to come to lead us in closing prayer. Right now, Brother Justin, will do that. And my wife and I will be in the back. We look forward to shaking your hand and meeting you on the way out there this morning.